welcome to the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast. Your hosts are Phil McGurk and Scott McFadden. The Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast is a roundtable discussion designed to bring a number of viewpoints on cleaning, carpet cleaning and restoration related topics together in one place. Welcome everyone uh, again to the podcast here of Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers. It's uh, great to have you all back on again. Uh, you know, in the last week, we've had some major announcements coming through with the you know, coronavirus uh, shutdowns, especially in, in Victoria. We're thinking of you guys right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, all of us guys all around Australia and in, in Asia, even the guys in America, everyone knows about Victoria right now. Uh, and you are all on our thoughts. So um, thank you for listening. And uh, if you have any questions, make sure you check us out um, on our Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast. See us on Facebook. Send us your questions. And uh, today, uh, Phil and myself um, have got a WHS advisor here. And uh, we're really uh, happy, so happy to have uh, Phil along. He's um, an advisor on uh, workplace health and safety. It's Australian relevant. Um, so welcome, Phil. Thank you. Good to be here. I hope we can uh, sort out a couple of um, questions and get some clarity for people. I think that's the biggest thing is clarity at the moment. So, yep, yeah, lots of clarity. If uh, if we can, we've got some questions, Phil. That um, that you know, Phil McGurk has has put together, so we can sort of get some type of baseline um, because you know, workplace health and safety. We could go all over the place when we start to talk about policies and workplace health uh, procedures uh, for every state. So we, we, if we can, we'll try and keep it Australian relevant um, without going state, if that's possible. I'll, I'll leave that up to you, I, I suppose. But um, we really do um, welcome you here because right now workplace health and safety is on, on people's minds, especially when we start talking about what's going on with uh, you know the whole COVID thing, uh, COVID cleaning, uh, and that whole specialty restoration side. Probably today we may not get into that, um, but if we could start off with a, with a question in regards to the, the roles of a, a PCBU. Could you explain that, um, what a PCBU is and, and the role of that? Okay, well the term PCBU, first off it was introduced into the legislation uh, when the Australian Health and Safety legislation was harmonised. Now, PCBU stands for a person conducting a business or an undertaking. So if you want to shorten that up, um, I'll use the term employer. So if I use the term employer, I'm referring to a PCBU. Now, the roles of the PCBU, they're clearly laid out in the Workplace Health and Safety Act as to what those roles are. One of the roles is to provide and maintain a safe and healthy work environment. So it's a fairly short little sentence, but the amount of scope the PCBU has in that sentence to try and achieve, and achieve that safe workplace can be ast astronomical, depending on the workplace. 
when you when you start talking about the workplace, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that soon because I have a really um, relevant question in regards to the workplaces of today. Things have changed, so I want to come back to that, Phil. Um, if you can hold that thought, um, yeah. and so what when we have uh, wardens. Uh, committees, supervisors, managers, employees. Can, can you explain that? Okay. Yes, sure. Okay. So, um, wardens. Now, that's a term that's typically used um, in relation to fire. So, a fire warden at the workplace would be an individual who would look after the fire panel, um, direct teams to do searching. Uh, firefighting teams, and also direct people to the emergency evacuation area. Um, committees. Committees are set up in the workplace. It's workplace health and safety committees, and they are generally workers selected and voted in by the workers to act as their representatives in a health and safety committee environment at a workplace. Now, um, supervisors may play a role as um, helping the PCBU achieve their obligation of providing and maintaining a safe workplace by ensuring that workers comply with company policies and procedures and do their job properly, uh, wear the appropriate PPE. Um, they may have a role in organising shifts and scheduling work as well. Now... Just, just, just going, just, uh, sorry to interrupt you. No, just, no, no. I've got a question on that. When it comes to a warden, just quickly, is there a certain amount of people that are supposed to be on a workplace that requires a warden? Like, is, is there a... Are you supposed to have... Um, if you've got over, say, 20 people in your workplace, is it a, uh, you have to have a warden or is it over 50 or 100? Do you know? Uh, I honestly can't answer that if there is this particular figure okay. as to the amount of people. Yep. Um, I think it would probably be part of, an easy way of looking at it could be looking at the workplace from the employer's perspective, how many workers have I got? How many people do I have to manage in the event of a, an emergency? Um, they may have a, you know, 200 workers. So they may decide in that 200 workers, I've got four different work groups. So I want a warden for each work group. Okay. To manage it effectively. Okay. So yeah. as far as being a stipulated number to require a warden, no. But it is part of the what you should be looking at as a business owner if you employ people. Is that yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I still have to manage that safety of all yeah, the workers. Right. Yeah. It's still part of the WHS. Now, under the fire regulations, there could be something specific in there, um, especially if the workplace has a, a fire panel, which the warden has to manage until the um, the fire service actually gets there. And they have to control the evacuation until the virus get there as well. Okay. What about what about um, first aid? Do you, do you need someone to hold a first aid certificate in a company? Yeah, there is um, mention of um, the requirements for 
first aiders and first aid facilities. And the facilities may range from, you know, having a first aid room with um, certain first aid equipment down to just having first aid stations based around the workplace with basic first aid equipment. Um, once again, number of first aiders per workers. There is a standard on first aid equipment. Um, I'm pretty sure it doesn't stipulate, once again, amount of first aiders per the amount of workers. It'd probably be risk assessment based there as well. Okay. All right. So when we look at a workplace, um, why, why do a workplace um, have these WHS policies and procedures put in place? Because, you know, let's be honest, these, these WHS policies can be quite expensive to actually get prepared for a company. But what, why do uh, companies have these in place? It can come back to that initial obligation of the PCBU to provide and maintain. Should something go wrong at the workplace, and unfortunately it does occur, and it does occur on a daily basis, the Workplace Health and Safety Inspectorate will investigate an incident. And they want the employer to be able to demonstrate to them what they have done, what measures they have gone to, to prevent that incident occurring. Uh, depending on the incident and what has occurred, there's possibly breaches of workplace health and safety legislation. If those breaches have occurred and the employer hasn't done enough to prevent them from occurring, penalty points could be applied to the employer, the organisation, the supervisor and even the worker for that matter. Those penalty points have a dollar value affixed to them. So everybody at the workplace potentially could be in line for penalties. So if we have these procedures in place, what it, ultimately what they're doing is trying to prevent, A, an incident occurring in the first place and put controls in place to manage it and also to demonstrate to the regulatory authority that they are doing what they can to prevent said injury occurring. So, so, yeah. so talking on that then, so where does that uh, liability actually, um, where does it fall? Who's it for? Who's it for? Yeah, so the liability, just say, um, you know, you put this stuff in place. Um, let, let's say for instance, there's a, I think this is where you're going, Scott. Let's say for instance that, Let's say um, me as an employer um, puts a staff member into an unsafe work environment. That employer then comes back to one of the committees or the supervisors and said, hey, this is unsafe. Do I need to keep doing this? And the owner of the company says, yeah, just keep doing it, just keep doing it. Where does all this liability, where does the liability fall? Okay. If, if you were to have a look at the Workplace Self and Safety Act, it quite specifically lays out roles and responsibilities for various parties. So we've got the PCBU, we have an officer, we have a worker, reps, etc. 
It's all listed in there as to what their responsibilities are. Another term they use for their responsibilities is obligations. Now, quite clearly states in the legislation that if you have an obligation under that legislation, you cannot discharge that obligation. So, slight variance on what you just said then, Phil. Um, say you got a, a, a job yep. and you subcontracted that job out yep. to another working entity. Yes. Okay. Your role or your obligation as the initial PCBU does not change. So I'm still I have to cover all WHS regulations. Yes, Is that right? yes, okay. as well as the contractor. So what you would then be doing would be looking at your company policies and procedures, looking at the contractor's policies and procedures and see if they line up to achieve that ultimate obligation of a safe workplace. So your obligation is still in place. The subcontractor has the same obligation to his employees. You cannot discharge an obligation. Okay, so scenario-wise, um, I'm going to do this on the restoration side because this is what I do. Um, so we get work from a third-party supplier mm -hmm. who then becomes a PCB. PCBU. PCBU, but every other contractor that does work for them. Just mm -hmm. say they give me a job, I go to a job and something goes wrong mm -hmm. and there's been no prior agreement between the PCBU and my company. The, the investigation will certainly look at your company. Yes. They will look at your work methods. Yep. They will look at your JSEAs. They will look at your policies. They will look at your procedures. They will also go back to the person or the organisation that contracted you to do that work. So, well, did you actually look at their policies and procedures? Were they satisfactory? Were they ensuring the safe workplace? She still have the same obligation. Okay, so we, you talked a little bit about penalties and stuff like that. So are we talking larger penalties for the PCBU, for no. the company, for the employee doing the no. job? No, no. It doesn't work that way? If there's a breach of breach. legislation... <laughs> just just so everyone knows, Scott has got an IR thermometer and he's, he's checking his forehead temperature and we've just caught an, an eye, eye. What are you, Scott? 34.8, so he's safe, he's good. We can't By even. the colour of his face, it's safe. Anyway, keep going, Phil. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. sorry, sorry, guys. I, I went in to get a needle at the hospital today for my shoulder and an ultrasound, and I was just making sure I wasn't dying from that. I was sweating. <laughs> uh, okay. The legislation actually applies penalty points for a failure to fulfill an obligation. Right. Now, those penalty points in the regulations may range from uh, 10 penalty units, 30 penalty units, 3,000 penalty units, depending on the breach. Now, the dollar value 
for those penalty units is actually taken from a different bit of legislation. Okay. Now, don't quote me on this at the moment. It does change. Um, I believe the dollar value at the moment is somewhere around the 130-odd dollar mark per unit. Right. Now, typically, if we have a nasty incident at the workplace and through the investigation, you probably find that you're in breach of multiple units. Mm. So, therefore, those penalty units start adding up quite uh, quickly. Quick, yeah. Quite quickly. Um, well, that, that's a different way to look at it as well. So... I guess those who are putting the effort in to actually try and bring down those penalty units, and this is what we've done in our organisation, is we've said to our staff members, we, we're not going to get 100% risk-free environment. No, you're not. So our idea is that to limit as much risk as possible, and by doing that, we're doing more and more training, education, and even what we're doing here on the podcast to try and get this information out to other business owners and staff members as well. So, I mean, these are all things that we're trying to do. Um, as part of the industry, to lift the industry as well. So, yeah. I think those, I think some of those questions you've asked, Scott, did that answer them? Or yeah, or yeah. Right and, and going and going on that, Phil, uh, when you're talking about you know looking into your business and and these, you know these um, points will go up if something goes wrong within it. Uh, if, there, if there is a uh, a case, um, what checks and balances? Mm. Um, you know what? How, how can the company? check their business um, to uh, make sure that, they, um, uh, that they're up to scratch with the, with the latest WHS? Well, have a safety team, have a safety officer or a safety manager. Now, as a business, most all, all organisations, you're running a business, you're running a business to provide a service. Um, and, yeah, you'll get reward for that service, i.e. payment. So now you can employ people. They can earn a wage and live a, a lifestyle in line with that uh, wage. Oh, I've lost it. That's okay. So, but, I mean, for smaller businesses as well, I mean, it seems to be that the owner has, like, taken on a lot of hats, and that is one of the hats they definitely take on. So the cost of... I mean, I don't know what we're up to now, $15,000, $20,000 for our small business. So there's a, there is a large cost. But so, like, who, who takes that responsibility then? Like, who has to notify? Ooh, yeah, watch that chair. So. Okay. I continue on to where I was. Yeah. Have you, as a business owner and a manager, PCBU, got the time to fully read, interpret, understand health and safety legislation Absolutely. amongst Absolutely other legislation. Not. No chance. So what most organisations will do is they will employ a health and safety expert. Right. Somebody with a qualification in health and safety, and generally speaking, um, as it'll be somebody with, say, a Cert four or a diploma level in health and safety. Prior to harmonisation, Queensland was the only state where their legislation stipulated where you had X amount of workers, you must have a health and safety officer. 
that term is now, or that position has now been removed from Queensland legislation. So it's the onus has gone back to the employer to ensure they are health and safety compliant. Hence, get a consultant in. Okay. Get somebody who knows health and safety legislation to advise. And I guess that's, um, sorry, Scott, I guess that's just as owning a business, they, this is what we actually have to take on. There's no, you know, I don't yeah, There's no buts. I can't there's no buts. Yeah. You can't, you can't stick your, excuse the expression, you can't stick your head in the sand and say, oh, I didn't know I had to do that. That's right. It's been out there. Health and safety has been around for eons. No one will reasonably ought to have known that you had that responsibility. So You're gone. So if, we, sorry. Sorry, Bill, if we were to look at that training or that, you know, implementation of a WHS or an OH&S, you know, in, into a business, how often would you need to look at uh, renewing it or refreshing it, going through it uh, with your uh, supervisors within your uh, company, for example? It's ongoing. So it's a live, live document. It's, it's a living document. Living document it's yeah. not going to change. Um, legislation does change. It doesn't change that often. Standards change. Codes of practice change. Um, work activities change. It's an ongoing process that we have to manage and we've got to try and be on top of it 100% of the time. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, um, uh, Scott, I mean, you'd be in the same boat as I am with this revolving door of the restoration game. Is there, a, uh, I don't know if there's an easy way, to, is there a start-off point for owners to have with, with uh, new employees? Is there something in legislation or something there is a definite start-off point or is it just, you know, you just jump on the job and you have to train them day by day or I, I'm not sure, Scott, is there anything, any regulations that you know of uh, when you come into to a carpet cleaner, a cleaner or a rest, restorer that you have to have WHS qualifications or anything at all? Uh, no, I, I know that if you're doing... Uh, you know, government work uh, currently, they are really uh, strict on their OH&S. Uh, they require their swim forms to be up to date. Uh, if you're doing any council work, you'll need to do a, an induction online. And then when you go on site, you'll have to do an on-site induction. You'll have a swim form that'll be reviewed before going on site. Uh, right now, also with some councils, uh, some councils are actually requiring you to do a not only the uh, take five or that risk assessment every day, but they're also asking uh, from some uh, companies when they turn up on a council site every day, they have to do a health check, which is in regards to uh, the coronavirus currently too. So that there is different things occurring. Uh, specifically with governmental work that we've noticed in the last couple of months, all due to uh, coronavirus. See, what, the, what you're talking about there, that's that particular organisation, it's how they're managing their safety. Um, the legislation is fairly broad in the way it's worded. So when you're looking at it, you've got to try and take into consideration what's it actually asking me to do? What do I have to do to actually achieve this? And some of the things you've just mentioned then 
would be what those government-based organisations are doing to demonstrate they're achieving that ultimate obligation. So it's not necessarily a legal requirement that they do that. It's a good to do, and it's a way of demonstrating their compliance. It's also taking some of the liability away from them. Well, no, it won't discharge their liability. No, but it, it, it's... So it's that, reducing the chance yeah. of an incident. Well, it's that thing where they're now getting on to the contractors and say, you have to be in line with what our... Yeah. Yeah. So, which is a good thing, I think. So, I know we're doing it. The builders we work for are doing the same thing as well. So, I think they're probably reducing the risk to them as a governmental um, uh, party. Would that be right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, you could put it that way. And in doing so and enforcing that, they're also reducing the risk to the contractor as well. So, if they're compliant. I think I think uh, Phil, when we look at go back to the original question that we were talking about workplaces, and it goes in with what's happening with these departments putting in these risk avert statements to be able to make sure that any contractors are coming in have got these uh, proper documentations set in in place for them to be able to enter in on their site, which we understand as companies. But going back to that role as a PCBU and we look at these workplaces. Now, the, the, what I really wanted to bring up today was that, uh, we, and what's very relevant to today, is since the coronavirus uh, came through and, uh, you know, it, it just devastated businesses all over the world, but let's just talk about Australia and Asia at this moment, a lot of companies have taken their staff out of their business place and they've put them into their home. And as you know, uh, the, you know a lot of businesses or offices have uh, been heavily hit with uh, their staffing members being in these offices and now they're working from home. And because they're working from home, that now becomes their workplace. So I'd like to talk to you about something that's very relevant to us right now in regards to our workplaces that have changed from our normal businesses to being at home. Phil, um, when we have staff working from home, any of our team members, whether they're answering emails, talking on the phone, or they're on their laptop being uh, permanently situated at home, uh, you know, through this whole COVID change, uh, there has been some uh, fairly frequent discussions that have come out that I've noticed on uh, like the ABC radio station, SBS, Channel 7. They've had uh, 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 occupational health and uh, safety officers discuss this problem that is occurring that should be probably made more aware to businesses that have their staff working at home currently, that the workplace that they are at home is their workplace. And any safety issues that are there become a problem to the employer. So I was wondering if we could discuss that with you at this moment. Do you think that's uh, okay? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so when, when someone works from home, Phil, um, the employer, what is his risks, I suppose, and 
uh, should the employer have a maybe a safe operation uh, procedure put in place for that employee to be working at home? Can we discuss that? Well, for the for the employer to cover themselves to make sure the employee is safe, I would suggest going along the lines of what you've just suggested, is to talk to the employee and discuss their home, their residence, and how that employee can work at their residence safely without suffering an injury. Now, it could be um, the employer could suggest to the worker, okay, well, choose a room in your house where you can set up as a, an office. I may be able to supply you some office furniture to enable you to do your job safely at, the, at home. It's pretty hard to cover the employee for the rest of the house. They may have to go to the bathroom. So is the employer going to go out to their residence and have a look and see what the good points, what safety, what's the risk, do a risk assessment on it? I dare say not. But if they could probably set out some guidelines that they would like the employee to abide by to ensure the safety, yeah, by all means, I would say go for it. Uh, I would probably, as an employer, I'd probably look at um, contacting work cover to see how my worker is covered while they're at the work at home because it is still their workplace. Even though uh, it's their residence, the employer's requested they work from home because it's too dangerous for them to come into the office. And they're still working. That's their workplace. So it's only in the hours that they're working, is what you're saying? Or? Yeah, that would only be applicable during the hours that they're working so set time, at home, yeah. three hours, eight hours, whatever Three hours, eight hours, yeah. whatever it's set. Now, once you go outside of those hours, the residence becomes the worker's residence once again. Um, health and safety perspective from the employers, no. Hands off then. So I guess we're, we're talking as, um, about the requirements for um, safety for workers. You talked about, um, like, setting up a workplace, what if they've already got like a dining room table in their chair and they get a sore back because they're not on an office chair? Is that something we have to take into consideration? I or? certainly would, yes. But now we're looking and you're talking about ergonomics. The worker may be sitting at that dining table and in the dining chair for five, six hours a day where it's only designed to be sat in for three quarters of an hour while you have your evening meal. Right. So it's not suitable. So this is where the employer, and I'm using the term employer for the want of the PCBU term, um, to put down some guidelines. So well, look, have you got a good office chair that you can use? If not, you can take your one from your office station. I'll even let you take home the desk. Right. <laughs> and set up a room in your office that's ergonomically correct, um, and it's safe for you to work in, i.e. no children, no dogs, no toys laying around on the floor. I guess that was going to be my next question, the, um, the uh, environmental factors. How does that come into play? It's still a workplace. Okay. Mm. So 
we have an obligation to manage it. How we go about managing that, there's a multitude of ways of doing it. But the obligation there is we have to manage it. We have a duty, we have an obligation. So when you say you have an obligation and a duty, and we well, uh, just briefly before we're speaking about risk assessments, it, it's, it's not in the law at this time as part of risk assessments that we need to visit our employees' home to do that? No. There'd be nothing in there at the moment stating you'd have to visit the employee's home. Um, you could potentially, as a PCBU, get the, the worker to do their own risk assessment at their home. Yep. And you may want to go down and have a look at it to see if that risk assessment is right and workable, um, or you may just accept the worker's risk assessment, what uh, equipment they may require to enable them to be safe in their own workplace, I in think, the room of the house, maybe. I really think that that is uh, excellent uh, point that you brought out, Phil, um, because right now businesses everywhere have got their employees at home and working from home, I should say, and, uh, you know, it, it's just being not thought of is that while our employees are working from home, they're still under our work cover and we need to try and do at least a risk assessment. I, I really do like that. I appreciate you um, bringing that out. We're not, you know, we're not going to have a, a resolution today on the whole thing, but if we can have or shed some awareness to our listeners, uh, I, I think that is an important thing today. If we can really bring that across. I, I wanted to get back to work cover. When you brought up work cover before, are you saying that we need to let work cover know that we've got employees working from home to see if they're covered under our current work cover? Is that what you're uh, I would suggest that. Now, I did work in a role some years ago as a um, return to work coordinator, but that was quite a few years ago. I haven't kept myself up to date with the legislation in relation to work cover. So I would strongly suggest to any employer out there at the moment who does have a worker working from home, to contact work cover and just find out where they stand should something go wrong and the worker suffer an injury. Just to double check. Okay. Very good. Very, very good. Thank, thank you, Phil, for, for that. I think we've uh, got done that point really well. I wanted to uh, go over to, as we're getting into the uh, end part of our, our podcast, I wanted to go over to some important points. I've got five points that I wanted to uh, to get through with our listeners today. Number one was, you know, what we should know, what we probably don't know. And number one there is, what, what's a confined space? Uh, I know every state has probably got a different uh, legislation on what a confined space is, but is there a harmonised um, legislation on that at all? Okay. The legislation, the workplace health and safety legislation actually does mention a confined space. The regulations gives us the definition of what a confined space is. 
that definition in the regulations is actually taken from the Australian Standard 2865-2009. Now, would you like to know what that definition is? <laughs> yes, please, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you ready for this? The definition of a confined space, and this is what people have... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> COVID. COVID-19. People have to use to determine whether a site is or is not a confined space. Okay, from that standard, a definition of a confined space is an enclosed or partially enclosed space that is not intended or designed primarily for human occupancy, within which there is a risk of one or more of the following. Unsafe oxygen levels, I'm going to trim these four points down. Unsafe oxygen levels, a potentially flammable environment, a potential for toxic contaminants, and a potential for engulfment in a stored or free-flowing rising level of solid or liquid that may cause suffocation or drowning. That's why I trim those points down. <laughs> okay. So, okay, we're going on that then, I can try... What would a roof space be under? Okay. So what would a roof space be considered? I'll tell you how you go about determining. Because we have that definition. And from that definition, the PCBU and the workers have to determine themselves whether it is or is not. Okay. A roof space. You've got that in your mind? Yeah. Yep. First question, is that roof space enclosed or partially enclosed? Yes. Yeah? You've got a yes? Yep. Okay. Is that roof space primarily, and I emphasise the word primarily, designed for human occupancy? No. No. In that roof space, is there a risk, and the risk is a likelihood, is there a likelihood that we could have an unsafe oxygen level? Yes. Is there a likelihood that we could have a flammable contaminant or a flammable environment in that roof space? Yes. Is there a likelihood or a risk of a toxic airborne contaminant? Yes. Is there a risk of engulfment? Yes. Well, when we say... If there's a, if there's a big flame up there... <laughs> engulfment, <laughs> engulfment, free-flowing solid or liquid? Free-flowing solid or liquid? Or liquid. So a free-flowing free solid, uh, example, wheat. In the silo. Yep. yep. Sand. No. It's a solid. Water. So with the last one, I'd probably say no, virtually none. Right. But in that definition, it says where there is a risk, a likelihood. So one of those four factors does not have to actually be there it just has to be a chance of one of those factors occurring. So what you've just gone through now 
in breaking it down in that manner, you're going to make the decision as to whether that roof space is or is not a confined space. Right. Okay. Very good. Do I explain that clearly enough? So what's you the did. It's as clear as mud. Your choice. <laughs> Very good, mate. Second question. What is the definition of working at heights? <laughs> when are you deemed to be working at heights? Once again, it's stipulated in the regulations. The definition of working at heights is where there is a risk of fall from one level to another that is reasonably likely to cause harm. So does that mean that there's no actual millimetres in that or centimetres? Did I say millimetres or centimetres? No, you didn't. Because it's not there. Right. Okay. However, <laughs> however if we look at the construction code of practice, they do have a height definition in there. So they've got housing construction is set at three metres and construction work is set at two metres. But yet the legislation, because you, you that reference I just made there is specific to construction work. Whereas workplace health and safety legislation covers all workplaces. Right. So it's a bit broader and it gives us that definition of one level to another. Very good, thank you. Third question. What is a construction zone? What would be deemed as a construction zone? I'd like to go back to the construction standard or code of practice to uh, give you a clear definition on that. Okay. And I haven't got that with me at the moment. <laughs> so construction zone... Well, where, I would say that would be anywhere where construction work is being carried out. Does that now, mean the radius of that zone... Does that mean demolition, Phil? I would include, I would include demolition in that. Okay. All right. So, so, what, so, sorry, what about removal of asbestos and lead, that sort of stuff? Is that a construction zone or a work zone? Well... It'll be a work zone. Now, if you're going to remove that, say from a domestic dwelling or a, an office building. Let's do domestic first. Okay, yeah. let's do domestic. So once you remove that, is it going to be replaced by another product that doesn't contain asbestos? So cover, do what you're saying there? Yeah. Yes, so what are you doing then? You're constructing. Right. So... To construct, you've got to remove, tidy up. So that would be considered a construction site. Okay. And so that construction site is both residential and commercial? Yeah. Okay. So is there a difference to that to a work site? Question number four. A work site? Well, a work site would be a construction site. A work site for you would be your office. Well, any work that isn't construction. Any work that isn't construction work yeah. is work. Yeah. Okay. So once again, the definition of work you'll find in the legislation as well. Okay. And just off the top of my head, it's where somebody earns money or reward or gain when they're doing is providing a service for someone else. 
Okay. They're conducting work. So who has control of these sites? Who's supposed to be in control of these sites? BCBU. And when can a client that isn't, so during the construction zone, if there's still construction going on, is there anything in the legislation to say that the client of the property owner or the property can or can't come in or do they have to follow some sort of regulation? They'd have or? to follow a regulation. They'd have to follow site procedures, company policies, whether they're the owner, whether they're a visitor on site, they all have to follow them. So it's all coming back to having a safe workplace. Yeah. Well, that's right. It becomes a work site, doesn't it? That's so, right. Yeah. So if we, if we uh, finish that off then with the fifth question, and I suppose... I think I, we've got this answer pretty clear today. Who is responsible for the health and safety responsibilities of a construction and a work site or a workplace? Everyone. Very good. Everyone. And by everyone, you mean the, the workers included? I mean the workers. I mean site visitors. I mean sales personnel. Um, the worker, the supervisor... Uh, the storeman, the PCBU, PCBU, the payroll team, yep. the administration girls, everybody. Anybody that goes onto a website has a responsibility. And you cannot discharge those responsibilities. And what does that mean? You've got to comply. With no questions asked. Well, you can ask questions. Now, one of the things in there for a worker, one of the workers' obligations, it's now written that you must comply with all reasonable policies and procedures. So they've thrown the word reasonable in. It has occurred where a policy may have been written in all good faith and all good intent, but the person who wrote the policy didn't fully understand the job and the hazards associated with it. So now the worker that's doing the job looks at the procedure and goes, well, if I do it this way, I've got a high potential to suffer an injury. Whereas if I do it the way I've always done it, I've reduced that possibility. So what the worker now, under the legislation, they do have the right to go, well, hang on, I'm going to hold up on this job. I'm going to highlight the deficiency here where I am now greatly exposed to a hazard and suggest a change. So then that policy then, if it's all justified, can be turned around so we incorporate the workers' suggestions and we make the job safe. Now we can move on with that same policy so procedure. You're talking to me a couple of weeks back about... Uh, I can't remember the black key or something it was called. I can't remember the, the term of it. And the, the point is, is that um, if, if that's the case where there's an endangerment from a staff member, they escalate that up to their supervisor. The supervisor then takes that to the owner of the company and the owner of the company says, no, I'm not going to make those changes for cost reasons. Yeah. And you can put a, a black mark or something. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're talking about there is the Workplace Health and Safety representative. Right. Now, the term that you're actually looking for is a PIN. PIN. A PIN. That's right, PIN. So basically, um, the PIN is, I'm going to use this term broadly here, it is a notice 
that the representative has given to an individual that they have to rectify the situation within a specified time frame because they are in breach of a legislative requirement. Now on that pin, the representative has to stipulate which part of the legislation they are in breach of, i.e. they've got to write down the section number. Right. Now, once that pin has been issued, and it can be issued to a worker, it can be issued to a BCBU. There is specific time frames of within which that needs to be rectified. If it isn't done within that time frame, you're going to get a visit from workplace health and safety inspectors. How many of those inspectors are in Australia? Yeah, good question. Okay. They're very thinly spread across uh, Australia, across the states. They've got rather large areas to look after. But something like this, a pin being That's issued, right. they take it very seriously. And you don't want one of them knocking on your door for non-compliance with a pin. Any breach. Any breach at all. Any breach at all. So, so I guess... They are nice people. <laughs> they are very nice people. <laughs> so I guess what we need to take out of all this is that uh, as business owners and employees, we need to get onto this WHS stuff, I think. So... And there's plenty of places where you can get the information you need. It is easily accessible. Right. Just got to ask the questions. And that's what we've tried to do today. We're yep. trying to ask some questions. Yeah, we got and we got some great answers, Phil. Um, um, yeah. We really uh, covered a lot of information when it comes to you know our WHS uh, legislations and trying to keep it relevant for Australia, you know, uh, nationwide. Uh, I really appreciate uh, your input today and uh, the, you know, that uh, advice that you provided. I think what I've taken out of today, which is very relevant for a lot of companies right now, is when we have employees at home, uh, we have to consider that that home is a workplace and that we do need to have maybe a risk assessment done uh, and maybe by the employee at home, uh, have an inspection of that risk assessment, ring work cover, check that they are covered. Uh, all of our employees, if they're working from home, we need to check with work cover. I think that's a great point, Phil. Uh, Phil, do you have anything else you want to say to Phil? I've just got one other point I'd like to mention. What we've covered here today um, is a very light skim of the legislation, but maybe a thought to take away Health and safety costs money. There's no two ways about it. It does. As an employer, do you actually see a dollar return for the efforts you put in? Typically, no. However, if you take a look at incident accident ratios, lost time injuries, work cover claims, if they're down to a low figure, all that work you've put in for health and safety is actually working for you. It is actually saving you money. Yeah. So a little bit spent here has the potential to save you millions. Your business and I literally mean yeah. millions down the track. Yeah. 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 Good point. Good point, Phil. Yeah. No, I think I think as far as um, what we wanted to cover across today and bring to light on the podcast, 
um, and just start the conversation. I believe we've done that, so I do appreciate that, Phil. Scott, thank you for the questions. Thank you for the scenarios. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me along. No, we really appreciate it. So, Thank you, guys, and thank you to all those guys that have listened again to the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast again. It's been a fantastic uh, podcast this time, learning and just listening a little bit of on awareness of OH&S issues. Guys, stay strong. We know this coronavirus thing is going to go, but we ask you to stay strong uh, and, you know, communicate. Communicate with everyone. Uh, ring up people and uh, talk to people. Don't hold things back. Uh, we've got a lot of restorers and carpet cleaners out there that are doing it silent. And Phil and I want you guys to open up, give anyone a call. You can always chat with us. Thanks, guys, again. We'll see you next time on the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Phil. By assessing this podcast, I acknowledge that the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, or surface, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in these podcasts do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast. The Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast, or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein. Moreover, the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elemental codes that manifest contaminating or destructing uh, properties. The Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising of any individual's use of reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.